Amen. Give him praise today. Give him praise. I want you to, I want you to remain standing for just a moment. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Joshua. Joshua chapter number 24. We're going we're gonna to bring everything to a head. We're going to bring everything to a point. Last three, four weeks, uh, God has really been working on us guys, especially, especially the guys, everybody. Uh, the principles we've talked about through this whole series, everybody can take and use and relate to, but especially the men. God's been working on me. I, I don't know about y'all, but I, I, I feel like I've been through a tenderizer, a meat, meat tenderizer. God's just been working on areas of my life and changing me from the inside out. And I thank God for that. I think my family's going to be better because of it. I think my relationships are going to be better because of it. And I, I want to I wanna just, just follow it up. Uh, the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about marriage. Marriage. Uh, two things. First, five ingredients to a great marriage. Five ingredients to what a great marriage. The problem with most people and, and that is keeping them from having a great marriage is they have a good marriage. They have a good marriage. But listen, you should never settle for good when you could have great. Amen? And then, then the second will be marriage killers, things that we allow in our life that kill a marriage or a relationship. Amen? Joshua 24, I want to encourage everybody. Uh, we have a great nursery, a great children's church, and, and, and if you'd like to take advantage of that, it is available. An usher will be at the door if you need help to find those areas. And, uh, but if not, please make sure uh, that your little one isn't a distraction to those around you. All right? Uh, uh, so just help us with that. And we'll have a great service today. Joshua 24 and verse number 2. Have you found your spot? Joshua 24 verse 2. We find Joshua is in the twilight of his, his career, the twilight of his age. He has fulfilled the responsibility that God has given him to, uh, to come in and conquer the land and divide for an inheritance to the people. And now he is making one last address, if you will. He is making one last uh, a proclamation to them, his last words, if you will. Uh, I found out this, that when, you, when you're on your deathbed, uh, there is, there's only one thing that you talk about, and that's what is really important. Nobody talks about the fishing hole. Nobody talks about the golf course. Nobody talks about the job. They only discuss what is really important. And Joshua is fixing to give them some last-minute uh, instructions. And we find in verse number 2, And Joshua said unto the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacre, and they served other gods. And I took your father, Abraham, from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. Now I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt, and according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen under the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan. And they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And ye, that ye might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. 
Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. And I, but I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still. Listen, when the devil's crowd tries to curse you, God will make them bless you. Say amen. What a God we serve. So I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land which ye did not labor, cities which ye built not, that ye dwell in, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do you eat. Now therefore, all of those verses are there for this reason. Now therefore, I did that. So that you can do this. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day. There's going to be many people in this room today that's going to make a choice. You're going to have to choose today which direction you're going to go. You're going to have to choose today whether you're obedient to the Spirit of God in your heart. Choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the God of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But, say it with me, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Church, say amen. Father, help us in Jesus' name. Anoint your word today. God, I'll thank you for all that you've done and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. If you are here today and you filled out one of our prayer cards as a first-time attender, if you don't mind, if you'll hold that thing up, we're going to collect that real quick. We've got a first-time attender here right over here on the right-hand side. Hey, church, let's give, let's give the Lord praise for our first-time attender. Isn't that great? Amen. We're glad that you're here. Now listen, in, in Joshua chapter 24, in the first 13, or excuse, yes, first 13 verses, we will find the letter I 17 times. The letter I 17 times. I did this and I did that. And I and I want to share with you just a couple things today. And, and let's try to draw this thing to a conclusion today. Two things I want to share with you. First, there is a reminder that is explained. A reminder that's explained. Then we're going to see a response that's expected. There is a response that God expects out of his children because of what he has explained. Now, to begin with, number one, we, we see this reminder. He goes back, and if you'll go back and read, you'll find out that before God ever asked anything of his people, before God ever made a request, before God ever expected anything from them, the first thing he did was remind them what he had done for them. He took them all the way back to their father Abraham. He took them all the way back to their ancestors and reminded them of their past. 
Listen, he said, you're not always, and you have not always been God's children. You have not always been the apple of my eye. You have not always been a called out chosen. Listen, you have not always been on good favor with God. There was a day in your past when your father served other gods. There was a day in your past when you lived a wicked life. And I'm telling you, if there's anything that we need to know, if there's anything that we need to have in our heart, it's a remembrance of where we were when God found us. I'm telling you, do you remember the day that God found you? Do you remember the place that God found you? I was not a good person. I can relate to the psalmist when he said, I waited patiently on the Lord and he inclined unto me and he heard my cry and he brought me up also out of a horrible pit out of miry clay and he set my foot on a rock and established my going. I'm telling you, God came to where I was. He looked beyond my fault and he saw my need. He looked beyond my problems and he saw all my potential. How many of y'all are glad God came to where you were? He came to where you were. You wasn't looking for Him. He came looking for you. You were broke down. You were, listen, you were handicapped like old Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth couldn't get to the king, but the king could get to Mephibosheth. I'm glad when there was nothing good in me, when there was nothing holy in me, when there was nothing righteous in me, God came looking for me. He reminded them of their past. He reminded them of their preservation. He said, everywhere you went, I took care of you. When Pharaoh chased you out of Egypt, I protected you. Listen, when he came to kill you and to destroy you, I kept him at bay while you crossed the Red Sea. And then I destroyed him in front of you. Every battle you faced, I protected you. Every valley you went through, I watched over you. I kept watching the night. I kept watching the day. And I preserved you. The clothes never rotted off your back. The shoes never wore out on your feet. How many are glad for the preservation of God? Listen, God watches over you. God takes care of you. God preserves you. God gives you what you need, and he keeps you safe. Thank God for the unseen hand of the Lord that's watching. There's, man, you have no idea how many dangerous places and dangerous situations you were in, and you never knew it because God's angels were watching over you. The preservation, he reminded, not only the preservation, but the provision. Verse 13, verse 13, he said, he said, listen, I've given you houses you didn't build. I've given you vineyards you didn't plant. I've given you wells you didn't dig. What's the point? What's the point? You say, I'm a self-made man. I've made my own money. God gave you health. God gave you air to breathe. And God gave you a job to do. Without Him, you wouldn't have anything. Listen, His provision, the Bible says in Psalms 103 verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. You know what I think's happened in the church in America? We've forgotten the goodness of God. We want, we want people to beg us and plead with us. We want people to bribe us to do something for God when God says, Look what I have done for you. The reminding, he explains. Then he says this. Therefore, because I have done all of this, therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, read the verses before it to find what it's there for. That's a great study tool. You see, before God ever asked anything of his people, 
he always reasons with them. You see, we have a reasonable God. When I, when I was growing up, I had a parent that said it like this. I don't, you may have had the same kind of parent. But when, when we were asked to do something, and if you ever got the courage to say why at a distance, the normal response in my household was, because I said so. Anybody ever hear that? Must have been a universal parent thing. But see, God's not that way. You can go ahead and ask why if you want to. God says, I came to where you are. You wasn't looking for me, I came looking for you. When you couldn't fix yourself, I helped you. When you couldn't get out of the pit, I came in there where you were and I brought you out. When you were singing, there's a tear in my beer, I changed your song to I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. Go ahead and ask God. God will explain. God will reason with you. You see, there's a, re- there's a reminding. He explains. But then here's the message, guys, especially the men. Especially the men. There's a response that he expects. There's a response that he expects. Because I did this, God says, because I did 17 eyes in 13 verses. 17 times God said, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that. 17 times I did that. Therefore, three things God wants you to do. First, he says, fear God. What's the first thing that God expects out of us as as men of God? For us to reverence God. God. We are to reverence His authority. We are to reverence His position and His person. We are to reverence Him for who He is. You say, well, God's never done anything for Him. Number one, that's a lie. And number two, that's irrelevant. We don't res- listen, we don't reverence Him because of what He's done for us. We reverence Him because of who He is. Listen, we worship him not simply because he saved us, but because he made us. He is our creator. He is our God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his sheep. Amen. We're his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are to reverence him. We are to fear him. Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man ever to live. Ever. God gave him a supernatural wisdom. To know more and have more than anybody on the planet ever in the history of mankind. From, the, from Adam to the last human being that's born. Nobody will ever have what he had. Nobody will ever know what he knew. He, he, was, he was one of a kind and God did it on purpose. In the book of Ecclesiastes you'll find that Solomon went on a journey. Solomon went on an experimentation journey where he wanted to, he wanted to experiment with the things of this world. He was backslidden on God. And he used the term over and over, under the sun, which means here on earth. I'm going to find peace and joy and happiness. I'm going to seek fulfillment and satisfaction here on earth, which in turn means without God. Like many people today in America is doing. I'm going to find fulfillment in the bottle. I'm going to find fulfillment. I'm going to find fulfillment in the needle. I'm going to, I'm going to find fulfillment with a click on the computer. I'm going to find fulfillment in immorality and loose living. 
and everybody finds out the same thing, the same thing that Solomon found out. If there was to do, he done it. If there was to buy, he bought it. If there was to go, he went there. He had it all. Wine, women, and song. Every single thing that the devil tempts man with today, that he said, if you would have this, you would be happy. We run around and say, boy, if I had that house, I'd be happy. If I had that car, I'd be happy. If I had that woman, I'd be happy. If I had that man, I'd be happy. If I had this, and God let one man have it all. When it was all said and done, he said, it's all vanity. Vanity, vanity. The word vanity means empty. Empty. The last two verses of the book. Chapter 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the last two verses say this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. In other words, this is, in Alabama we say it like this. What does it all boil down to? This is what it all boils down to. When it's all said and done, when it's all experienced, when everything, when we've done it all, this is what it boils down to right here. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. What is the first thing the Bible says that God requires of us? Fear Him. Reverence Him. The Bible says in Psalms, Psalm 89, 6, For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence of all them that are about him. Some people run around and say, you, got, you know, you got to have a tie and a suit on to reverence him. That's, that, that, it goes way past that. you got to come into this building real, real quiet and you know, and, and it's way past that. It's way more than that. That's just surface stuff. It goes into the heart. Do you fear God? Do you reverence God? Is He holy to you? Is He special to you? Is listen, is it different? Do your kids see you reverence Him? They see a difference. I'll tell you this. If you fear God, you'll never fear anything else. You won't fear man. You won't fear rejection of man. You won't fear nothing. Fear him. Men, if I could ever beg you to do anything, is fear God. Fear God in your home. Fear God in your life. Fear God in the workplace when you're tempted to do wrong, when you're tempted to, to be shady, when you're tempted to cheat, when you're tempted. Fear God. Don't not flirt with that woman because you're afraid your wife is going to find out. Don't do it because you know God's watching you. Don't cheat on your taxes or cheat at work or for whatever reason because you're afraid to, that IRS is going to find out. Just do it because God is watching. Fear God. Because I've done all of these things. Therefore, fear the Lord. Reverence Him. And the second thing, serve Him in sincerity and truth. Serve God. Serve Him. Are you are you coming to church and you're 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 like a you're like a consumer? You just come and you just suck it all in and then you go home and don't contribute. Preacher, you're gonna make everybody mad. They're not gonna come back. Listen, if you're just a consumer and you're not gonna help, I need your seat. I'm not being smart. I'm not being arrogant. We have a world that's going to hell. 
And this is the prime time. Everybody wants to go to church at 945. Don't have to wake up early. And you make it Wednesdays before the Presbyterian. Say amen. You in prime time. So what do I need of you? I need disciples in the house of God who are willing to fear God and willing to serve Him. Serve Him. Have you found your gift? Are you using the gifts that God has given you? Are you using the things that God has given you to serve Him in sincerity and truth? Say, why should I do it for Him? Why shouldn't you? 13 13 verses, 17 eyes. God came to where you were. You couldn't save yourself, so he saved you. The Bible says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why shouldn't you serve him? In in the Old Testament, they were servants that, that served out of debt. There was two reasons they would serve, out of debt and out of love. In the beginning, they would serve out of debt. They would, uh, the, the master would uh, give them a certain amount of money, and they would be in debt bondage. They would be in slave bondage to them for six years. But the Bible says after the six years, they were to be let go free. But they had this, they had this and, and I really never understood this till I got saved, but they had this opportunity at the time of their freedom. They could say, hey, I don't want to go free. I want to serve my master. And he had an opportunity to come not now out of obligation, not out of debt now, but because he loved his master. You know what? It might be that you come to God and you serve him in the beginning because you feel indebted to him because of what he's done for you. But listen, after you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in a more intimate way, you won't want to serve him because you're indebted to him. You'll serve him because you love him. There's too many people serving out of debt and not out of love. The church of Ephesus was full of that. He said, you've labored and not put up with sin, but I have somewhat against thee because you've left your first love. In other words, you're serving out of obligation and not out of adoration. Why don't you serve God because you love him? If you're serving in this church and you get frustrated and you want to quit and you get tired, you need to understand you're not serving Temple. You're not serving Malcolm Carter. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And before you get weary and before you get faint you need to consider what he did on the cross for you somebody say amen men I'm challenging you today men I'm calling you out today fear God fear him and let your children see you serve him in sincerity and in truth the Bible says therefore therefore fear God Fear God. We need to reverence Him. Then it says this, serve Him in sincerity and in truth. I use the word return for the sake of alliteration, but also because that's the word God told me to. How many of us are returning the favor? We are returning the love to God that God has given to us. I don't sweat down to my socks every week because I really like you. I do. A little. Just kidding. I do a lot. I love y'all. Y'all are my best friends. But I do it because I love him. Man, it's the least I can do. I've had people criticize, oh, preacher, what are we going to do? We're going to have to work more. We're going to have to do this. We have, we have another service. We're going to have Really? Really? Is that what we're going to tell him when we get there? When he holds his hands out to give us a hug and we see those those wounds in his hands and the wounds in his feet. Really? 
Well, I just don't have time. I don't want to be you when I get there. Because we're going to give an account for our time. We're going to give an account for our money. We're going to give an account for everything. Now, do I need to go over those 17 eyes again? Of all that God has done for us. Therefore, reverence. Therefore, return. Then lastly. He said, not only do I need you to fear God, but I need you to serve Him in sincerity and truth. But then he says this, and this is really important, guys. Guys, 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 pay attention right here. There's some things we need to remove. There's some things we need to remove. You see, we have a tendency of living in a world that's corrupt. And God knew when they went into Canaan, they were false gods in Canaan, they would have a tendency to pick up gods from other places, pick up gods from other people, even carrying gods out of Egypt. He said, you're going to have to choose today whether you're going to follow those gods. You need to remove them, put away the gods of Egypt. Now, here's the deal, men. Now, there ain't nobody, probably, I hope not, but there's nobody that has little golden statues in your house and you've got candles burning around them and all that kind of, I hope you don't. If you do, you need to make an appointment. I really need to talk to you about some things. So I'm good, preacher. I don't have no Buddha statues and I don't have that kind of stuff. No, but there's, see, there's other things that you can make a God. Anything that comes in between you and your Father in heaven is a God. And boy, I begin to think of some things, and these are some things that God told me. Pleasure. Men today have made pleasure a God. Recreation a God. There was a day in America that responsibility came first, and if you had time and you had money, then recreation. But now it's completely backwards. We've raised a generation that funds what's most important. If we have time to work to support our fund, then, then so be it. But, and we're, we're neglecting children. We're neglecting spouses. We're neglecting families. We're, we're neglecting financial responsibility. We're in debt over our head. But the Bible says in the last days men shall be lovers of themselves and also lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Boy, if that's not the day we're living in, help me, Jesus. Men love themselves more than their wives. Men love themselves more than their children. Men love themselves more than the God that saved them. When it's, it should be the exact opposite. God said that men are to love their wives more than their own life. And we've made pleasure and recreation a God. Men are getting addicted to porn just in a, in a, in a, just a, a, a devastating speed. And they find out that all the thrill and all the excitement, everything that comes with that that the devil promises through that kind of immorality, it leaves you empty and unfulfilled. Just like Solomon said it would. But we've made it a God. We've made pleasure a God. We've made hobbies a God. We don't have time for our kids because we're too busy playing golf or too busy going coon hunting or too busy going fishing or too busy, uh, listen, working on cars. pleasures of God and God says get them out there's nothing wrong with none of that stuff as long as they have their rightful place am I right I love all that kind of stuff I love going to car shows I love going fishing I love going frog gigging when we don't turn the boat over amen I love coon hunting I love all that stuff 
But when it starts to take in the place of family and start taking place of God, we're in trouble. God wants us to remove these things out of our life. The God of pleasure, the God of pride. Pride, men. Pride, men. We're so... I would rather somebody take a needle and stick it in my eye than have to ask for directions. I need a witness. You know, Tammy won't go buy something put together. She buys something that takes a Philadelphia lawyer to figure out how to put together. And the first thing she said, did you read the directions? I wouldn't have to read the directions if you buy one put together. No, I haven't read the directions. Who needs directions? We're lost. Stop and ask for help. No. I think we need to go talk to the preacher. We're having some issues in marriage. I ain't telling him nothing. How's it working for you so far? Listen, trust me. I I wish somebody else was up here saying this stuff because I don't want to have to say it because I'm as guilty as any of them. I've allowed pride to keep me from having a great marriage for a long time. I don't want to admit I got issues. I don't want to admit I got problems. I don't want to admit I have weaknesses. I don't want to admit I can't fix something. I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to be able to fix everything. And it was a great day in my life when I figured out I didn't have to. One of the sweetest days when I was said, I don't know. And the world didn't come to an end. Man, don't be surprised when you can't ask for help. The Bible says there is safety in the multitude of counsel. You know what all of us other men need to realize? We're all the same. We all have insecurities. We all have fears. You see, we can't show that because we're the tough ones. We got to, ooh, oh, we can't let anybody know we're weak. And pride, it's a God. I know technically it's not a God, but it's a God. We've made it a God because it's keeping us from God's best in our life. Church, say amen. Then the worst of all. The worst of all, because it's sneaky, it slides in, we don't even realize it. It is, it is one that everybody, I would, I would have to say, nobody in this building is immune to this. Probably every man has issues with this, and we struggle with this last God that we need to remove. It's the God of procrastination. Procrastination. All right, I'm just standing right here on the curb. You got five minutes, cabana boy. Hey, can you bring me a lollipop? Yes, I will, sweetheart. I'm not getting you one. Oh, Daddy, turn it up. I love this song. Oh, I've heard this before. Who is it? Oh, sweetie, what are you doing? Come dance with me. Emily, this is a parking lot. This is not where people dance. Daddy, please, just for this song, come dance with me, Daddy, please. Emily, people can see us. It's okay, they don't mind, Daddy. They don't care, Daddy. Tell you what, you dance right here and I'll watch. This is what you do. First, you put your right hand around my waist like this. Then 
you hold your other hand out like this. Then we sway back and forth to music. Spin. Are you sure you don't want to dance? <laughs> I'm dancing with you in my heart, sweetie. <laughs> what project? What trip? What activity? Do you keep saying, I'm going to do that? I'm going to get around to that. Listen, the reason this particular God is so dangerous is because we don't even realize that time is going by a hundred miles an hour. And it's not that we're wicked and evil and we don't want to do these things that we're procrastinating. It's we think that we're going to have a chance to get to it. The road to hell is paved with... I, I, I was going and... I, I meant to do... Before this series... Before this series, I, I look back over my life and how many times I remember. I remember when when Jordan was a little bitty thing and she wanted to go coon hunting. And I, oh, not it's it's the summertime, snakes are out. And I, I'd make excuses and I, and I really meant well. Just we'll go next time and and we'll go next time and we'll go next. But see, before you realize, today they're eight. Tomorrow they're eighteen. Men, what are you putting off? What are you procrastinating? What are you, what are you what are you what do you need to do this week that you've been saying you were going to do but you keep neglecting and you keep putting it off and you keep waiting and you keep spending time with everything else but what's really important because there's coming a day when you may not get that chance. Sway back and forth to the music. 
Lord, thank you for the nine years I had Emily. I'm grateful. I don't know if I can ask this. Would you tell her I did my side of the dance? Ecclesiastes 9.10 Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. Solomon says, if you're going to do it, do it. If you're going to do it, don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Don't make excuses. So preacher, I was going to get involved in that group. Do it. I was going to get involved in that ministry. I was going to serve. I was going to find my gift and use it for God. I, I, I want my kids to see. I, quit making excuses and do it. Well, I just don't know what to do. God will tell you. I got a fishing trip I got to make. I've got one little rat in my house that has asked me four times to go fish. Can, can we go fishing, Daddy? Can we go fishing, Daddy? Putting it off, putting it off. God said, you need to go fishing. Listen, I'm telling you. Let's quit procrastinating. Let's be what God wants us to be today. Choose you this As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed.